Welcome back to Sound the Foghorn, Fansided's official San Francisco Giants podcast. We are back for our 17th episode. I am your host, Mark DeLuke, and today I am joined by the associate, associate, associate editor for Baseball Prospectus, Ginny Searle. Ginny, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. You know, I was thinking earlier this week, uh, it was just, you know, we're kind of getting to that point where it, we're getting close to that year mark, right, from when you know, the, the pandemic, I think, really hit uh, impacted people's lives in a very uh, direct way here in the U.S. And so I was talking, you know, a year ago, actually, this week was sort of the last week before spring break. I, I was a senior in college and then we were prepping to go break. We go for break. And then, you know, the second week, I think, is when I want to say Rudy Gobert and I think right, Tom Hanks are kind of the two uh, celebrities that kind of change how people, I think, perceived, you know, what COVID would be. And I was just talking with some friends. But man, it's, you know, we're getting to the point now, right, where the pandemic's on our radar now for really more than a year. And, you know, baseball is kind of back now at the place it was before, you know, that happened, right? We're starting spring training. Pitchers and catchers have reported we're set to have sort of the, we've, some teams having their first inner squad games, you know, other games are setting up. And man, I can I can imagine for you, you know, in your position over at Baseball Prospectus, it's been a whirlwind of a year. First, like trying to find content and trying to figure out how to write about baseball during a pandemic. Uh, you know, what's what's kind of that been like for you? Yeah, it was definitely a weird year. I think it was March 13th was when MLB shut down, but I could be off by a couple of days. But in any case, I remember at that point, it felt like it was uh belated that well which MLB is kind of how it, MLB tends to come to things belatedly and yeah it was definitely a a challenge because you know once the league shut down you know and obviously uh Craig uh, Goldstein is the uh the real uh you know the real man in charge but um <laughs> we ever since uh ever since MLB shut down we had the question of well what are we going to do in the interim? How are we going to cover the season if and when it starts? Are we going to, you know, how are we going to cover positive tests of players? And just a lot of questions to answer that uh, I think coming into 2020, we hadn't really considered ever having to answer. So it was a lot, uh, but I think ultimately we ended up getting one thing is that we ended up getting a season that I feel like people don't feel was farcical, which mm -hmm. I think helped things on multiple levels in terms of how people feel about baseball. Um, you know, whether or not MLB earned positive feelings with, you know, things like Just Turner on the field after and then the, the various different things that MLB's managed to step into over the offseason, that's worth considering. But I think that people ended up being happy that MLB managed to have a season and that the playoffs the way they did didn't end up making anyone feel like the Dodgers weren't worthy champions so I just think it was good to have you know in terms of just the fact that people if they're subscribing to a baseball site want to have baseball to talk about I think that was helpful <laughs> but it was certainly a struggle and you know I think a learning experience in a lot of ways yeah no definitely I, I can imagine and I think um too you know and you know, we'll get to the Giants, sorry. I just uh, take it us on this little tangent here. But I, I do think uh, yeah, I want, want to kind of commend you guys for the work you did because I think what it also did was in ways that had not – because there was literally were no games being played, like the, it was even harder kind of for the usual um, – 
you know, ignoring kind of the surrounding world when we're talking about baseball and, you know, sports in general, um, I think this happened. And obviously we have, you know, the background or, you know, alongside it, obviously, you know, the election year and the host of other things, uh, a host of other major events, right. That will kind of define 2020 and, you know, BP uh, did a, a fantastic job. I think in my opinion, I don't think I'm alone in that in terms of maneuvering, um, through those things and showing how these things are interconnected, that you really can't talk about baseball without talking about these other things. And that's something that I think, you know, baseball coverage, you know, not dissimilar from sports or really any part, I think, of journalism has historically um, struggled with or purposely like avoided trying uh, to engage with. And I thought that was that's been a really cool part. I guess cool might not be the right word, but really uh, engaging part of the work I found. Um, over at BP. I guess I should, full disclosure, I've had a few pieces published over there, but the other people's work is <laughs> primarily what. Right. Uh, yeah, well, first of all, thank you for saying all those nice things. I think the credit there all goes to Craig. Um, but I think generally, um, we've none of us are really the types over at BP to think that stick to sports is something that has ever made sense. But I think 2020 really showed that it's not something that you can even kind of pretend makes any sense just because everything's connected surprisingly to, I guess, yep. some, and you have to kind of look at things in an overarching manner. If you don't, if you want to have a sense of, you know, what's right, what's, what's the context and that's all important information. And if you just say stick to sports, you're never going to get that. Mm-hmm, definitely. So, you know, looking at uh, the giants team, looking at this giants, Roster, you know, uh, you, you guys over at BP uh, have a projection system called Pakoda, and, you know, you, you have a bunch of essays on each team, and, and you wrote you know, the Giants essay. I think it's right. Pakoda likes what the Giants are building right now, I believe, is the headline. I'm curious for you, you know, when you kind of are stepping into, all right, you know, I'm going to write the Giants essay, you know, did your perception of the team change from when you were like, all right, this is the piece I'm going to write to then when you looked at the projections and looked at the roster and organization and, and what you went, how your sentiments ended up being towards the, where the team stands right now. So the Pakota series is when we have the seasonal projections come out when I believe, which I believe happened earlier this month or at the, near the start of this month, we have what we call Pakota week where people can, you know, pick and, you know, contributors can pick all sorts of topics and, write about something that they find interesting in the numbers, uh, you know, just as a way to kind of spread the word of the numbers, what they find interesting and how uh, how they might tell the story of the season in a way that people haven't thought of yet. And a lot of those, there's topics that, you know, just year in, year out, year out people are going to want to hear about, like, you know, pitchers who are looking like they might break out or same for hitters, things like that. And the Giants was different just because, I, as I think I noted, it was the Giants were one of three teams with the others being, I believe, the Yankees and Blue Jays that were projected for, I think it was 11 hitters who were projected for at least a 100 DRC plus. And then, I mean, the night before publication, another one, Lamont Wade Jr., uh, mm-hmm. got added via, I think, a minor trade. Yep. And so um, it's just you know, that's not something that we were expecting. I don't think that anyone really thinks of the Giants as having one of the league's deepest offense, which is how Pakota seems to see it. So I just decided to look into that. And I kind of found that it was, it just kind of seems that there's a lot there with this Giants offense, even if it's uh, 
one of the older ones in the league. Yeah, and you mentioned what I think is so interesting and what kind of makes it difficult to evaluate is it is kind of a lineup of depth in contrast to say star power, right? Like you don't mention the Dodgers and Padres when you look at that, but obviously you look at the three, four, maybe even five best hitters on those, those lineups and almost all of them, if not most of them are going to rank above. I think looking at right now, Alex Dickerson is the highest projected DRC plus for the giants at 122. Um, and, and you know, what do you think, or I guess, you know, how do you kind of view that in terms of the Giants obviously have this depth that these other teams don't. They also, though, probably don't have, you know, these, you know, they don't have any current generational elite level players. You know, Buster Posey, you know, obviously was at one time, but has far removed from that performance. You know, for the Giants team is, how do they make up for, I guess, that gap at the top? Like, is depth enough to do that? Well, funny you mentioned the Dodgers. I just went and looked as you were talking about that. Uh, and yeah, they have five guys who are projected for at, uh, at least a 126 DRC plus. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, so I think that it, uh, I think that having that kind of top end, the players who, you know, the all world type players like Mookie Betts or, uh, Aaron Judge on the Yankees, Mike Trout, players like those, you, uh, I think that you end up seeing just how much they can pull forward on offense, which, you know, it makes sense if you have someone who puts up a 150 DRC plus, and then you have, you know, that's an average that with two guys hitting league average and what you have, uh, 117. Yeah. Um, so compare that to, you know, the Dodd, that's pretty much the Giants' whole, all of those guys, right? 117 is probably what you, best case scenario, you look at all those, uh, all those starters, I doubt they average out to 117 and mm-hmm. in terms of projection. And so I think that just having a really high top end drags up your, uh, it just drags up your floor because of how much, how much damage guys on the top end of the league can do. And, and that's where it, it gets kind of into, um, and this is kind of, I guess, in the weeds of the projections, but where you get into, you know, potential, I guess, platoon splits and other things. Because I think the Giants, you know, last year we saw, and they really took advantage of that 28-man roster with a lot of, you know, promotions and demotions, really playing uh, aggressive platooning of Alex Dickerson and Darren Ruff in left field at various points, Alex Dickerson and Aaron Austin Slater at others, Wilmer Flores and Brandon Belt at first base and DH. But, you know, with two fewer roster spots without the, the DH in the national league, that does kind of limit their ability to do that. But I think that's kind of been one way they've said is, you know, we don't necessarily have these elite elite hitters, but maybe if we get two above average hitters who complement each other, you know, I know, I think you talk about in the essay, you know, Tommy Lestella and Evan Longoria and how they, they can hopefully play off each other, you know, to kind of maybe get that elite performance out of a position from kind of taking the strengths from two players. Yeah, and I think that it's interesting how they're doing that at some positions, whereas other positions they really seem to have kind of laser focused. Uh, obviously, at shortstop, no one's going to be uh, unseating Brandon Crawford, but in terms of a backup, it's it's Mauricio Dubon, right? Mm-hmm. Who is pretty much locked in at center field yep. unless they're going to give Ustremski uh, another try. And so I think that the fact that they're really relying on people at those positions allows them to have uh, players who have less premium defensive skills kind of bounce around at those positions that are a little bit more forgiving. 
And I think that just the hope is, and I think it seemed to work out pretty well last year, is that you can always have someone starting who's well primed for the matchup. And uh, I think that with the Giants, they, you know, it's it's not that hard to see it all fall apart, but it, it came together pretty well last year. And other than everyone being a year older, there's not really any reason to think that there's too much regression looming. Definitely. And I think another part of that equation too, right, is, you know, Buster Posey obviously, you know, opted out last season, but even if he performs, you know, at the kind of below average offensive levels he was in 2019, you know, that's a huge upgrade because that really became kind of a black hole for their lineup going between, you know, Joey Bart, who's obviously a top prospect, but really struggled Chadwick Trump who had his moments, but still all in all really underperformed. So that also might, you know, buy them a bit um, of leeway, I guess, you know, in that lineup where if, if there's regression somewhere else, hopefully that uh, quote unquote upgrade a catcher, you know, can counteract that a bit. Right. And I mean, it's, you know, it can't be easy to take a, a year off and then come back to the major league competition after, you know, 18 months of layoff between yep. 2019 and then uh, April of this year. But I think on the other hand, there's, you know, you're never going to get a more rested, uh, a more rested Buster Posey. He's whatever he's got left in the tank. I think you're going to see this season because also he's, you know, this is his last chance to get a, a you know, I'm, I'm not sure what he could do as a catcher to get a free agent deal, but mm-hmm. in theory, this is his last chance. I mean, how old is he? 34. Yeah. I think he's 30. Oh, I think 33 on the young end. He, yeah, he'll be 34 in March. He'll be 34 next month. Okay. So, I mean, that's not that old, but obviously catcher years are a little bit different. But I think that Joey Bart is kind of in the organization, makes it seem as if there's a couple different ways that things could go in the future with the Giants. It seems as if Buster Posey is going to be behind the plate a lot this year, but how much is that the plan in the future? And how much if Brandon Belt's contract is also expiring? I kind of, you know, you wonder what you're going to see there. Um, But in any case, yeah, I think having his bat back in the lineup is going to be something that's, you know, great for fans and great for, hopefully for their lineup, because, you know, even if he is just more of a league average bat than a really uh, all-star level bat now, that's, you know, for a catcher, that's still something. Definitely. And, you know, you mentioned the center field and shortstop is two spots where, you know, like you mentioned, Brandon Crawford and Mauricio Dubon kind of are not only entrenched, they really, there aren't obvious, you know, alternatives that are slated to make, you know, the roster. You mentioned that they, they tried Yastrzemski in center last year. He struggled with it, had even his struggles in right field. They seem high on Lamont Wade, which is interesting defensively. They're, I think he's going to start in center field, actually, in their first, their first um, spring training game. So I think that's interesting because, you know, Pakoda was a, one of the projection systems that's relatively high on Wade, projecting him to be an above-average hitter or about-league average hitter, I think, from DRC+. Plus. Uh, anyway, offensively, but obviously, historically, he's been limited to the corner. If he can play center and, you know, as a left-handed bat to counter Dubone, who's, you know, a right-handed hitter who's done well against lefties, I think that that's a place where the Giants are hoping they can have kind of those two young guys under team control to be that platoon um, that can, you know, maybe take a step forward this season. Yeah, and I think what they do with Wade should be uh, kind of telling of how they see, I think, a couple different people because, yeah, if if Yastrzemski is not in center at all, I think that question kind of answers itself because if I'm remembering correctly, he pretty much didn't have an inning there past the first half of the season. Mm-hmm. But also Mauricio Dubon pretty much played every single inning there from 
I think basically the beginning of September onwards. So to what degree is them just that them just really wanted to see a chance for Dubon? And what does it mean for Yastrzemski and Dubon if either of them are entrenched? Because, you know, the thing with Dubon is he, he really can bounce around, but if he can play center field really well, that's valuable in itself. But he can play shortstop, that's valuable too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not something you're going to see a ton of with uh, with Crawford unless something happens there. Uh, but I think in general, you, you're you going to continue to see the Giants kind of trying to test things out as much as they're able to. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and I think it is so interesting because, you know, this lineup, like you said, it's deep. It, it has, you know, a lot of players that, you know, you can see being contributors on a contending team, but it lacks that kind of top end talent. But there's also the element of Posey, uh, Crawford are both and Belt are all free agents at the end of the season. And so you're also trying to figure out, all right, what is the Giants? You know, are the Giants thinking of exit strategies kind of trying to, you know, is are they looking at were they giving Dubon center field last year to see if that was an option to now maybe reintegrate him at shortstop more to you know be Brandon Crawford's heir apparent or do they see him as a long term fit in center field? I think Wade is also interesting because of another Twins former Twins outfielder who the Giants acquired in a trade, Jalen Davis, who I think is similarly projected by Pakoda. You know he was someone who fans expected to see a good amount of last year, ended up not. He spent most of it at the alternate site. But could he factor, you know, he could factor in to that outfield equation. And so it's interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see how do the Giants balance these younger players with these established veterans? And do any of these established veterans have avenues to play themselves into new contracts with the team? Like, is the has the front office already decided that they're going to move on from Crawford, from Belt, from Posey for younger options? Or are they giving these players a chance to essentially prove themselves to give them extensions down the line. I think all of that is up in the air right now because we really haven't seen this front office have to make, you know, those decisions outside of Madison Bumgarner when obviously he left at free agency. And he was even a different case because he was still younger than what Crawford and Belt and Posey will be. Yeah, and I mean, I believe in terms of commitments, it's just uh, past 2021, it's just mm-hmm. Evan Longoria for one more year. And then now the Tommy LaStella contract, which I believe has uh, three years. So, I mean, it's pretty, pretty bare in terms of, and then Cueto's also coming off the books after this year on this, on the rotation line, right? right? Yeah. So a lot of money coming off this year and, you know, it, it doesn't seem like the next wave of prospects as that system is finally improving is like right on the horizon, but it, it doesn't, it, neither does it seem that the uh, the team is centered around any four of those players. So, you know, if you, it, it does seem as if, it seems likely that maybe one of the four comes back, but you have to assume that not all of them are going to be returning. And I think that what it seems as if what the organization is doing is kind of setting itself up to be prepared for all of those eventualities. You know, they've got, you know, first base is less of a concern because guys like Slater and, you know, you can probably slide a lot of guys over to first base, but at shortstop, you have the Dubone option you have, although again, that means that you have to figure out a center fielder, but as you pointed out, maybe that's what they're doing, kind of trying to groom other center fielders so that they can have numerous options up the middle. And last season, they kind of already proved that they can do it without Posey and, you would hope that with the, with Joey Bart, that's only going to improve, you know, not to say that the Giants wouldn't 
and their fans wouldn't love to continue having Posey around, but, you know, Belt obviously brought a lot last year, but mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not certain that anyone's really expecting him to, uh, to repeat on that level where he was basically an MVP contender. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, Cueto, I think you're happy to get probably a mid rotation kind of, kind of showing you'd be pretty happy with. And then Crawford as well. He's, he's a good shortstop, but he's, I guess my overall point is that the Giants haven't really been built around these players as pillars of production for years. Yep. And I think that that sets them up well with money coming off the books so, such that even if they do retain a couple of these players, you assume that the cost is going to be significantly lesser because off the top of my head, I'm guessing it's something like $80 million owed to all of those players uh, combined. And even if you do end up getting a couple of them back or – even if you got all of them back at half the overall cost, that's a lot of new money that you can allocate elsewhere. If you, you know, if the giants feel there at that point, you know, it's, it's really interesting to me. And again, it's not just as a fan and someone who's followed the team for so long and, but in contrast to the Dodgers and Padres who are in the place they are in, which kind of complicates it also. And uh, again, where if the giants, like, you know, we, we all kind of mention it and we'll get to the pitching portion of this shortly is you know if they aren't in that playoff contention and maybe Brandon Belt does surprise us because I agree I think most of us would say we expect Belt to probably be you know above average you know about what he was prior to last season but if he does have that you know MVP caliber of performance in the first half of the season the Giants are out of playoff contention he's slated for free agency does he become someone you know they dangle a trade again he's a rental he's a position player those those type of players haven't tended to garner much prospects in return in recent deadlines. But it's, again, because it's a relatively new front office, even though this will be Farhan Zaidi's third year, it's ultimately, you know, not a huge sample to get kind of what his tendencies are um, with these decisions as well. So it's just, there's so many paths this can go, again, from uh, look just looking at the veterans, just looking at the young guys, and just looking at the rest of the division. But you mentioned Cueto, and, you know, really that brings me to kind of a broader question about this starting rotation. If the hitting side is depth, the starting rotation side is definitely not. It has a lot of, I guess it does have a number of arms, but, you know, if you look at projection systems, they are not as high on those starters, whether we're looking at Cueto, uh, you know, uh, Alex Wood, uh, Aaron Sanchez, Anthony DiSclefani, Logan Webb, you know, probably the exception being Kevin Gossman, who after last season seems to be projected to do quite well. But what do you make of their approach to the starting rotation this season? Well, I'd say this. I follow the Angels pretty closely. They're, uh, they're the team that I grew up watching. And I, I'm not sure I would say I'm a fan now because I find them so uh, incredibly frustrating. And <laughs> the reason I bring that up is because I think that this approach is one that I'm surprised the Angels did not employ. I mean, Mm. I suppose they ended up kind of having a similar solution of bringing on arms that they're hoping to have some sort of resurgence or unlocking it. But I think I would rather have the slate that the Giants picked up, even if they're all on similar one-year commitments than the ones the Angels did, which given the Angels are nominally contending, I think, speaks either poorly of them or well of the Giants or potentially both. I think, you know, Desclafani is, uh, am I saying that right? I think so. It's, it's, 
I think, I think that's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm Italian. That sounds like an Italian name. I feel like I should know, but I'm not, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I think Di Squifani, Di Squifani, something to that effect. Okay. Well, I'll, I did my best. Um, <laughs> well, he, uh, you know, I think he and Webb both have a decent chance at coming back well. And, you know, it's kind of hard to bring together what performances, who, who performed how in 2020, but I think uh, Alex Wood also struggled, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and then Aaron Sanchez, I don't, I don't think he pitched at all last year. Uh, and he, uh, he's the new signing. He, uh, he just came on this week, correct? Yes, yeah, this week or last week, one year, so four looking, million. I, so are they doing, uh, the Giants doing a six-man? Have they officially said, or is so that the expectation? That's been the weird thing, because I've seen people float the six-man rotation, and it doesn't seem like something they would lean towards, because they've seemed pretty insistent that they want a big bullpen. That's what they did last year. And so it seems like the way things are tracking, unless he has a really good spring, that it'll actually be Logan Webb's going to start at AAA in the Sacramento rotation. At least that's kind of my read on things where things stand. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like you mentioned, there are kind of six arms who, you know, you could slate in. But I think it's going to be they're going to sort of kick the can down the road, let Logan Webb start the season at Sacramento, figuring that, you know, given their injury histories and recent struggles, that probably one of these Scafani, Sanchez, would, you know, or whoever will either you know have to miss some time with injury or just struggle enough and then I think Webb will get another shot at the rotation yeah it wouldn't shock me to see the Giants have a uh, kind of a quick trigger finger here in terms of mm. getting rid of someone who maybe comes out of the gate with low velocity or something like that although you do wonder how you know this short year might change that as well because yeah. what if a lot of guys come out of the gate with low velocity um but still I think if something uh very anomalous happens like how kind of atlanta jettisoned fulchinevich really quickly into last season if i'm remembering that yeah, situation that's, correctly that's a, that's a good um, point. and I, I it wouldn't surprise me to see something like that because none of these are substantial commitments i think desclafani might have gotten like six million if my memory serves me correctly and that you know obviously is not much in the grand scheme of uh pitcher contracts mm-hmm. and but yeah, on ter- maybe the six man, I'm wondering if maybe it seems less likely because I do know Aaron Sanchez had a an incentive uh, that escalated based off how many starts he completed. So mm-hmm. you kind of wonder if there's a six man whether he signs that. But yeah, that's a good point. In any yeah. case, I have to, you know, I have to imagine that means he's locked down, and then obviously Cueto and uh, Gossman are locked down. So I guess yeah. Discofani, yeah. and then it, last it would just be. Wood, Weber, Bead, any of those. Yeah, and and you know the thing about Wood is he because that's kind of a similar situation, and he um, was a his in, a contract doesn't have a starts incentive, but it does have an incentive based on like twenty five or twenty appearances where you get like nine or more outs or something to that effect, which. You know, I guess you could read into that for a long reliever role. It seems like they're going to let him start, though, and it seems like that's more flexibility from the player side they wanted in case the Giants uh, try to use openers in various um, outings. But, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it because, you know, Sanchez is coming off shoulder surgery. That's right. I forgot about Tyler Beatty. Like you mentioned, he's coming off Tommy John. He's not going to be ready for opening day, but, you know, by May and, you know, definitely by June, he should be tracking to come back to the rotation. So, you know, again, it's different than the hitting side because, you know, most of those hitters who are kind of projecting to be league average above average, where I'd say the pitching side, it seems like there's a lot of options who project probably to be below average to average 
with I think Gaussman, the lone exception to that. But it is kind of, I guess, a similar approach in terms of just accumulate arms. Hopefully you hope your young guys develop alongside it and that you can kind of piece this together. Yeah, and I think that it might just be a reflection of the fact that teams are, if you think you have a premium talented pitcher, you're not gonna, mm-hmm. you're not gonna potentially leave them on the market like, you know, Randy, how Randy Rosarena, even though he has all that talent, kind of got mm-hmm. never had that chance. If you have that pitcher that you think has, you know, you can just throw him in the bullpen and you can figure it out. And so I think that it might it ends up shaking out that. You often see this that you can get a pitcher who, you know, and obviously a lot of pitchers, you know, develop themselves and, you know, Tampa Bay, for instance, and end up improving. But I think generally a lot of the pitchers that you can find on the market, you're hoping have more that league average upside rather than something better than that, as the Giants have found over and over on the hitting side. Yeah. And, you know, to their credit, um, it's interesting to for you to compare it to the Angels because uh, you know I hadn't really thought of this, but in some sense this is a similar approach to what we've what the Angels have kind of done in the past. Not talking about necessarily this year, though, in some sense this year as well, where they've kind of been criticized, you know, for kind of targeting these I guess secondary options arms with injury histories or you know various question marks that they could get kind of on, on lower size, lower commitment deals, and they. You know, that's blown up for them. I mean, the Angels have had struggles there on the rotation. But to, to be fair to the Giants, last you know season, you could have said similar things heading into the year. You know, Gaussman was coming off the year where he was removed you know, from the rotation, finished it in the bullpen. Uh, Drew Smiley was coming off injuries. And, you know, Gaussman had a really good season, accepts the qualifying offer. He's back on a one-year deal. And, uh, you know, Smiley, even though he starts the year on the injured list, has an exceptional year and gets, I believe, $11 million from Atlanta this offseason. And so it does seem like, at least last year, they had success with, you know, kind of these bounce-back starters. And they're going to need that this season to, you know, really get through the inning, get through the season, get through the innings, because that's the one thing. You look at it, it had success in a 60-game season. But, you know, it's it's even riskier if, because if this blows up early and you have 130 games left and already two of your starters are either struggling so much or, or have injuries, you know, it does feel like a really risky way of going about it, though. Yeah, and, I, you know, I think that it shows that the Giants do have in Farhan's ID in their front office, they have a talent in selecting players that have that upside and have a chance of delivering on it. And, you know, I think that that just speaks really well of how they're, their rebuilds going and I mean also the fact that they haven't bought and bottomed out like other teams I think you know whether they whether the contracts that they had when the Zaidi regime took over uh allowed them to jettison you know whether they could have traded them off in the same way other teams have is I suppose debatable but you know they've still put other than maybe one year that they had like 60 wins they've mostly put competent squads on the field even as they kind of age and regress and that now they're having the ability to find young players and develop them I mean you know it always used to be the idea that if the you know it still is with the Rays but if the Astros were calling and if the Rays are calling you for a player you kind of it kind of was like well, why do, why don't you just shut up and figure out what's up with that player like instead of letting this team take that player and improve them and if that's what's going to happen with the Giants that that kind of I think would speak well to their to their ability to do what it seems like they're trying to do, which is kind of just become the Dodgers of Northern California. 
Yeah, no, definitely. And that's where, you know, we, we talked about that money coming off the books at the end of this season. And when we think about, you know, this upcoming free agent class that includes, you know, well, for now, Francisco Lindor and Carlos Correa and Carlos, or not Carlos, Corey Seager, excuse me, and a number of other premium players, you, it seems like at least that uh, the Giants are, are well set to get involved in those bidding wars for more than even, you know, two, maybe even three of the bigger names on that market. Um, and so that's where, again, it's just really interesting because like you mentioned, the Giants have set themselves up. It, it seems very clear that what they've done is they've given themselves as much flexibility as they can. They've acquired this upper minor league depth through minor moves for, you know, a Mike Yastrzemski that's worked out really well. You know, they're trying to do it again with a Lamont Wade, a Jalen Davis, all these other things while adding supplemental pieces like Wilmer Flores and, you know, uh, Alex Woods and, and Gaussman's while their prospects at the lower level of the farm system, you know, guys like Joey Bart, guys like Marco Luciano, Luis Matos uh, have moved up. Um, the minor league ranks before 2020, and then obviously in 2020, a number had strong instructs, but it makes it really hard to project where they're going because, you know, they have the prospect depth to trade from it if they if they had wanted to target a Blake Smell, a Big Snell, or a U Darvish, you know, but they also have the big league depth to trade from that and then, you know, get more prospects. So it, it's kind of frustrating in a sense to guess where it's going to go, but it is all, it is also a really interesting puzzle to look at because they have given themselves all these different options. Yeah. I think that it seems a little bit unclear and I imagine it would be frustrating for a fan in a sense to not, I, I don't necessarily look at the giants as an organization and know when they're best built to go for it. Obviously next year, they're going to start having the, uh, the financial flexibility everyone's so fond of, but in terms of when they're actually best suited to try to make a run at more championships is, I think, more up in the air. Um, but yeah. I think the, the converse of that is there is also a sense that they could pretty much do it at any point, which mm. is much, much more than you can say of most franchises. So, you know, I think, I think you do have to be pleased, or at least I would be pleased with how the uh, how things have been progressing. But whether it's going to be next year or the year prior, I'm not or, sorry, the year after, mm -hmm. I'm not really sure. Yeah, no, that's and again, that's where the division plays a role in it. You know, the Dodgers and Padres are there, like, um, you know. Do the Giants, like where do the Giants stack up, you know, in the NL Central or AL Central, I think is a legitimate question to ponder because, you know, I don't think, you know, I don't think they're going to get picked over the Cardinals. But I think you look at a Cubs team, you, you know, and like that, you know, you look at that division, you know, with Pittsburgh and all that, the, the Giants, you know, in that division might have a, a puncher's chance that is just, again, it's hard to know, like you said about that window, in part because, it's not that they just have to, you know, build an 85, 90 win team. It's that if the Padres and Dodgers are able to maintain their recent success, they need to build a juggernaut to get to the top of their own division. Right. It, it seems like the Padres are also intent on becoming the, you know, the, the, the Dodgers or at the very least are planning on being this good for mm -hmm. uh, 14 years or so. And, <laughs> and I think, I, yeah, I think it makes it all the more harder because, as you point out, yeah, I, I mean, just because the just because the NL Central has, you know, there are three teams in the, no, sorry, four teams in the NL Central that have more projected wins than the 
than the the Giants, but does that mean that they're all better than the Giants? I kind of doubt it. It's just that when you have a 104 win projected team, which God, 104 wins as a projection is just wild. Yeah. So, I mean, and 104 wins in a division with the Padres is (laughs) who have 95. It's a, yeah, I I don't envy, uh, I don't envy Farhan Zaidi's task. Um, I mean, at the very least, you have the Rockies, and they're never going to be good. <laughs> yeah, you. That's you know what, that 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 might be true. The way they're going right now, that does not seem like they're heading in really any direction. I mean, I mean, obviously, in terms of wins and losses, down. But I mean, in terms of again, that's one thing for Giants fans as frustrated as you may be is you, like you've mentioned. You know, I I do think that's a really good point about they kind of have you know the trigger at their disposal to pull whenever they want to, if they're willing to cash in some of these prospects for big league talent, if they're willing to spend on the free agent market, they have that they can kind of do pretty, pretty much from any point forward where you look at a team like Colorado, you know, you look at teams, you know, like Pittsburgh or Detroit where it's, they may have, you know, in some of those cases, they've gone the full rebuild route. They know what they're trying to do but the path forward is a lot more cumbersome and they have a lot more flexibility in the way they do it. The giants, obviously every team is better off if their prospects hit it and become stars, but the giants have some flexibility where even if they don't necessarily get a generational piece out of their farm system, if they just get a number of starters, they have the flexibility to probably be able to add the best players they can through free agency or through trade as well. That's not an option for someone like say, you know, Detroit or Pittsburgh or someone to that ilk. Yeah, and I think also that, I mean, they have money as well, which yeah. obviously helps. <laughs> and the fact that, I mean, so little commitment, it's just really uh, Evan Longoria, but when it's when it's one player in one year, as it will be after this year, that's just not that much to worry about. And Yeah, and it's only I like, I think it's only like 17 or $18 million too. So even yeah, in the context of baseball, it's not even a huge contract. Right, and it's not as if Longoria is not a, not mm-hmm. still a useful player. Um, if he is, as he kind of seems a, a bat who's mostly good against left-handed pitching, I think I think it kind of depends on how the Giants want to utilize him going forward. But you have to imagine this year, at the very least, he gets mostly a full slate. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be um, incredibly interesting. Ginny, uh, thank you for coming on today. Um, where can the people uh, follow you on social media, find your work? Um, and yeah, keep, keep, keep in touch with what you're doing. I'm on, I'm on Twitter at Ginny Searle. I, uh, I don't use it too much, but I keep telling myself I'll get back to it, but maybe for the best not. Yeah. I was going to say, no, as someone, (laughs) as someone attached to it, to a problematic level, I think, I think you have the right approach. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'll keep that in mind. You can also read my work at, uh, often, very often at baseball prospectus where I, write up transaction analysis, uh, other articles and, you know, really whatever. Um, and yeah, you should definitely subscribe to Baseball Prospectus if you are interested. And uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I second all of those points. Um, Jenny, thank you uh, for taking the time to talk to me on, on this Saturday. Um, and yeah, th- thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it.
So this has been the 17th episode of Sound the Foghorn. As always, I am your host, Mark DeLuke. You can follow me on Twitter at Mad DeLuke. That is M-A-D-D-E-L-U-C-C-H-I. You can also stay up to date on all your Giants news and rumors at Around the Foghorn. You can follow us on social media, at, uh, pretty much on any social media f- platform at Round the Foghorn. And I'm very excited that starting on March 1st, this coming week, uh, is going to be Giants Prospect Week. So we're rolling out... Uh, a trove of Giants prospect content, including essays on recent trends from the draft, the top pro- and which will culminate in the top 31 Giants prospect rankings coming out on Friday. I'll be doing a Q&A with fans as well. So if you go online to the website or social media, you can uh, ask a question there and make sure to go in and submit on that. But otherwise, thank you again for joining us. And until next time, have a good one. And stay safe.